Welcome to Return to Truth Podcast. I am your host, Clint Curry. Thank you very much for joining me today. Again, I would like to say if this is your first time here with me, then please allow me to welcome you to the show. And if you've listened to us before, I appreciate your continued loyalty to the Bible truth and this podcast. And of course, if you haven't yet listened to our previous podcast episode, or season for that matter, then please take some time to make sure you go back and give it a listen. The last episode that we recorded was season two, episode 18, and it was titled, Calling Out Darkness. In that episode, we discussed the origins of Halloween, its roots, where it comes from, should we celebrate it, and what it is hiding the Reformation. With that said, before we begin today's episode, we need to ask God to guide us into a better understanding of His Word. So let's start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you will help us to understand your Word better. Help us not to commingle anything else within it, but to stand on the very words you have written. Guide us now, Father, as we study spiritual Israel and the state of the chosen people. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. The title of today's episode is The Chosen. The Chosen. No, not the TV show that's somewhat biblically inaccurate and takes great liberties, but instead, this time, we are talking about God's chosen people, the children of God. Who are they? Why does it matter, and how does this play into end-time prophecy? Well, you're about to find out. Today, around the world, millions upon millions are interested in Bible prophecy and have their eyes fixed right on Israel. And well, to be honest, it's really not all that difficult to understand with all that we are seeing going on in that area. Just turn on the news for a moment and you will see. We are constantly hearing that Christians are speculating about the state of Israel and the rebuilding of the Jewish temple and Armageddon. It is interesting to see how many Christians are going all in on this connection of end-time Bible prophecies concerning the nation of Israel, though. So with all that said, before we begin, what I'm going to do here is read from the book called Spiritual Israel, written by Doug Batchelor and Steve Wolberg. This book is full of relevant information on this topic. I will be picking out some key points and touching base on them as I go along throughout this podcast and adding some of my own additional commentary. So let's go ahead and begin. This Middle East approach to prophecy became popular among mainline churches in the 1980s with a series of books from Hal Lindsey. In his bestsellers, including The Late Great Planet Earth and Countdown to Armageddon, Lindsay employed this very literal, dispensational approach to prophecy, making several very specific and very errant predictions. He wrote that a secret rapture of the church would occur in 1981, which would be followed by the building of a new Jewish temple, the advent of the Antichrist the Great Tribulation, the invasion of Israel, the Battle of Armageddon, and the Millennium, all by 1988. Despite every single one of these predictions falling flat, his books continue to sell, 
making for most a standard that all end-time prophecy is viewable only when filtered through the nation of Israel glasses. Worse, the seeds of error they contain have sprouted and become firmly rooted in many churches. Now, millions of Christians are guarding a styrofoam monument with no prophetic veracity and building on the crumbling sand of popular evangelical trends. What are the primary pillars holding up this diversionary doctrine? While there remain some differences of opinion among these evangelicals regarding the role of modern Israel in the end times, the majority agrees on the following five events as core prophecies. Number one, the rebirth of the state of Israel in 1948. Number two, a soon coming seven years of great tribulation. Number three, the rebuilding of the Jewish temple on Jerusalem's Temple Mount. Number four, the Antichrist rise during the tribulation. He'll enter the temple to proclaim Godhood. And number five, a final war against Israel, which will result in Armageddon. But all of this is a foundation of sand. Because here is the big question. When you look at end-time prophecy in the scriptures regarding Israel and the temple, are they speaking of a literal nation of Jews and a physical building? Or is there a deeper spiritual application that we need to address? Let's go ahead and find out. Do you remember the first time when Jesus came? The Jewish people misunderstood the prophecies about his kingdom. They eagerly waited and were watching for him. They were watching for him to establish a literal earthly kingdom, and they were wrong. Jesus constantly told them that his first coming was to establish a spiritual kingdom. You can find that in Luke 17, 20, 21, that says, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So is it possible that today's churches are making the same mistake by misapplying prophecies regarding spiritual Israel and the temple, interpreting them in a literal sense without basis? If so, they could be preparing to embrace a diabolical deception, not to mention experience a devastating disappointment. So let's go ahead and stop here. Before we jump into that topic, let's get into the Bible and see what it can tell us about what exactly happened here. Looking at Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 39, this is Jesus here talking. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more, till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When I read this, I try to envision Jesus standing on a hillside overlooking Jerusalem with tears in his eyes as he says these words. You see, he wanted nothing more than for them to believe he wanted them to know him, but they were not willing. It seems the chosen chose poorly. You see, the chosen people of Israel rejected their Messiah. They crucified him on a cross, beat him, and spit in his face, 
They mocked him and cast lots for his clothes. Because of this, God's chosen people were no longer chosen. You see, we fail to forget that just because you are chosen doesn't mean that you can't be unchosen. Look at King Saul in the book of Samuel. 1 Samuel 10 verse 1 reads this, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is this not because the Lord has anointed your commander over his inheritance? You see, they wanted a king so bad, so God gave them Saul, a man literally head and shoulders above all the rest of Israel. They wanted him to rule over them. And what happens? Well, I don't think I need to tell you that the rest of the story ends with a sword. The point is, even those who are chosen by God can be rejected, or shall I say, they can reject Him. They still had a choice, regardless of their heritage, and we still have a choice too. Jesus says in this verse, Your house is left to you desolate. This word desolate is described in the Bible as meaning left lonely, forlorn, laid waste, comfortless, and afflicted. Let's go ahead and take a look at a parable that Jesus tells us that describes what happens in more detail and see what it can tell us about all of this. This one's found in Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 44. It says, There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers, that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then, last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their season. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and is it marvelous in our eyes? Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on the stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls it will grind him to powder. So let's go ahead and look at some takeaways here now that we're finished. It says, They will respect my son, which they didn't clearly in the parable, and see how that relates to the cross. And the kingdom of God will be taken and given to a different nation. It has, and it was. You see, when Israel refused God, they, in a way, voided their heritage. They had it all on a platter, completely laid out for them but they flipped it over. It no longer mattered that they were descendants from Abraham or that they were chosen. 
a new covenant was born at that point. In the parable of the wedding feast, what happens when those invited did not attend the feast? Others were invited in their place. Let's go ahead and read that now. It can be found in Matthew 22, 8-10. It says here, Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. So we see a connection here. We see something happening, a transition. I remember another story from the Bible that brings up a great point. Let's go ahead and read that one now as well. This one can be found in Matthew 15, 22, 24, 26 through 28. It says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So what exactly is being said here in all of this? Well, to start, we see the connection. The children represent the Jewish people, Israel, while the dogs represent the Gentiles. The children rejected the bread of life, but the dogs were more willing to accept it and had more faith than that of his own people. As I continue to ponder this, how true is that today in literal terms? Your dog would probably come to you before your children would if you called them. In a way, this is what we are seeing here. But besides that, it shows us that a transition is taking place. A door is opening up and there is no more one Jew. There are now two different types of Jews. And in a way, two Israels. One group is composed of literal Israelites, according to the flesh, Romans 9, 3, and 4. The other is spiritual Israel, composed of Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus Christ. Paul writes, They are not all Israel, which are of Israel, Romans 9, 6. Paul continues, That is, they which are the children of flesh, physical descendants of Abraham, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. That's verse 8. And that's just the point. The children of the flesh are only natural descendants of Abraham now. Nothing more than that. But the children of the promise are counted as the true seed, which is anyone who is now a spiritual Jew. So what does this mean? Well, let's go ahead and read on about it. Today, any person, Jew or Gentile, can become part of the spiritual nation of Israel through faith in Jesus Christ and are now a part of the promise as a true seed. In other words, there are the Jews who are only natural, physical descendants of Abraham. Then there are the Jews in spirit who believe in Jesus Christ. 
Paul writes, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest on the law, and makest thy boast of God. For circumcision verily profiteth, if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision, Gentiles, keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for uncircumcision? For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. And that's Romans 2.17, 25, 26, 28, and 29. So did you catch that? The implications are staggering. Someone who is called a Jew because he is a physical descendant of Abraham, and yet he who lives as a lawbreaker is not a Jew, at least not in God's eyes. His circumcision is made uncircumcision. It is revoked. Thus to God he is a Gentile, and a believing Gentile who through faith keeps the righteousness of the law. His uncircumcision is counted for circumcision. Thus to God he is a Jew. This is also an underlining theme in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The Jews feast on the word, but they do not share it with the Gentiles starving for the truth. Therefore, they are cast out of the kingdom. But Lazarus, the Gentiles, the one who lay outside the gate hungering for the crumbs of the truth, abides in Abraham's bosom. And you can see Luke 16, 19-31 for that parable. So what's actually being said here is, you are a Jew inwardly. God looks at the heart. We've got so much confusion around this now. And in the same way, the devil has misdirected focus also on the subject of the temple. Since the Romans destroyed the last Jewish temple in AD 70, it says many naturally assume that in order for this Antichrist being a specific person in their view to sit in the temple, it will have to be rebuilt. But we see that Jesus clearly taught that he had come to transfer the attention from a physical building of worship to something much greater, his body, the church. We can read in John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, it says, Jesus answered them and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. Jesus' prophecy concerning the pride of the Jewish nation and the destruction of the temple inspired the most intense rejection of his teachings. Here are some high points of this truth. Matthew 23-38 Behold, your house is left you unto desolate. Matthew 24, 1-2, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him, for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Mark fourteen fifty eight. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. And Mark 15, 38. 
and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. New Testament writers saw the temple as irrelevant. They recognized the establishment of a new spiritual temple and priesthood. In other words, the temple on the Dome of the Rock won't be rebuilt. Let's go ahead and look at what the Bible has to say about this in more detail. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 through 16, it says, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And what agreement have the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We also see in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And finally, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Sadly, even after God provides all this clear biblical evidence that his temple today is a spiritual one, the church, many Christians are waiting for the Jews to rebuild a physical temple on the site where the Mosque of Omar, the Dome of the Rock, now sits, also known as the Temple Mount. Yet there is no prophecy, promise, or commandment in the Bible that says the temple would be rebuilt again after the Romans destroyed it. Jesus' prophecy that not one stone would sit upon another seemed to be of an extremely final tone. So do we believe, or do we not believe? Do we believe Jesus, or don't we? You see, when they rejected the cornerstone, their temple fell. And without the cornerstone, it will never be rebuilt. Let's take a look at 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. I'd like to address this for a moment as it does get brought up. It says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So what does this verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4 mean? Well, simply this. The Antichrist power would seat itself over the church of God, claiming the worship that belongs only to Jesus Christ. And historically, Protestant scholars have consistently applied Paul's words to the papal power and to its influence within Christianity. The point is, Israel is not part of end-time prophecy, at least not in the way that so many are thinking. Yes, they play a role. Jesus will return. The new Jerusalem will come down. And here is the kicker and the truth to all of this. 
all Jews will now be saved. Jews in Christ and spiritual Jews in Christ. That's under the new covenant. It is no longer just for the children of God, but to all people. The wedding is now open to everyone. So whether a Jew or not, what matters is that you are now in Christ. You are now a spiritual Jew. Notice the wording of this new covenant. It says here in Jeremiah 31, 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So if you want to be saved, you must be born again, and in a sense, as a spiritual Jew. We can be grafted into the spiritual heritage that God has freely given to everyone now. So Jew or not, you must be born again. There is neither Jew nor Greek, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's Galatians 3, 28-29. So in closing, it doesn't matter who you are now. God sees something special in all of us. Now we are all chosen. But the question is, will we respond with the right choice? That's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. We have so much more coming your way. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Just search the name at return underscore to underscore truth and look for the logo. So feel free to drop us a Bible question and we'll answer it here on the show. You can also leave a comment or even request a shout out. You can find Return to Truth on many different podcast apps. Just search Return to Truth and look for the logo. Make sure to follow this podcast channel on any of those apps or websites to stay up to date because I want to hear from you. And please share this podcast as much as you can. So until next time, remember to stay tuned as we return to truth.